Frequency is for open-minded thinkers, for observers who are hopelessly curious, for experiencers of the mysterious, and for those who are passionate about perceiving the unknown. I will be sharing with you all my own exceptional experiences and other extraordinary constructs that exist in our reality. Welcome to Access Elysium. What's up and welcome to all of you beautiful souls out there. I am your host, Amber O'Dell, and this is the Access Elysium podcast. So before I jump into all the fun stuff for today's episode, I figured I would let you guys know that this will be the last episode of the year 2022 for Access Elysium. I'm going to be taking a holiday break for a couple weeks here, and then as soon as I return back after the new year, I will have a new series to throw to the mix called My Best Friend's Cult. <laughs> and my best friend and I, Nikki Levine, finally started a cult and it is the three of us. So it is me, Nikki, and the third best friend is Philosopher AI. And we contemplate all the questions that we try to throw at the universe to see what comes out of Philosopher AI. And the responses that we get from her is completely mind-blowing. I can't wait for you guys to hear. But so just for you to know, take a little holiday break and then I will be back at it after the new year. Also, a really good way to support the show is to obviously download the episodes and listen to all the fun stuff, uh, share with your friends so that we get more people to know who we are, and become a VIP member. It's only $5 a month, and we go into way more stuff that I can't talk about on the free episodes of Nikki and I with our conversations series uh, with my other series called It's Just Me in Here, where I go on complete rants, very similar to what happens today in the Observer Effect episode. Whoopsies. And then when I start uh, our new series, My Best Friend's Cult, we also have an extended version of things I probably can't talk about on a free episode in our VIP for our VIP members. So please become a VIP member. It's only $5 a month. It helps me out so much because I really love doing this and I want to be able to continue doing it with your help. And it's super easy. All you have to do is go to the website accesselysium.com and you click on become a VIP member and it'll take you right there and you'll see all the stuff that you have not been able to see before. It's, it's so great. Uh, you'll catch up on all kinds of stuff that you did not know <laughs> before starting My Best Friend's Cult uh, at the beginning of the year. So thanks so much. We love you guys. Here we go. So have you ever wondered about the saying, if a tree falls in a forest and no one is there to hear it, does it actually make a sound? Now the answer is perhaps not. So coming up on the show today, we're going to dive into a new study that claims networks of observers are responsible for determining physical reality, six mind-blowing theories about reality, and the understanding that the act of observing changes what occurs in your reality. 
so much reality for us today. Okay, what the fuck is the observer effect? Well, this is, oh man, we get we get deep into this. So what this means is that seeing is changing. So just the act of observing something is changing what is happening in your reality. The act of looking at something changes it. What? I mean, okay, if you would have told me this a long time ago, I'd have been like, no, a long time ago, as in, yeah, I don't know, a teenager. Um, so if somebody was like, yeah, if you just look at something, that's changing your entire reality. It was like a hard concept to try to wrap my brain around it now. Oh, man, I absolutely love this. So in physics, the observer effect is the disturbance of an observed system by the act of just looking at it. This is often the result of instruments that you know, alter the state of what they measure in some manner. So physicists have found that observation of quantum phenomena can change the measured results of this experiment. How in the world (laughs) does this work? Well, I found on, oh my God, what is this? wanderumdaily.com, the observer effect of how it affects human conduct. So what is the observer effect in psychology? Well, it's the idea that people's behavior changes when they are aware that they are being observed, and it is known as the observer effect. In one study in New Jersey during the 1990s, they found a direct correlation between how workers perceived surveillance in the workplace and how they assessed their own privacy, self-esteem, and workplace communications. So the greater level of perceived surveillance, the more negative the work environment was thought to be. So in the 1950s, at the height of the anti-communist feelings during the Cold War, government employees and professors in Washington, D.C. came under under close scrutiny. As a result, many of them withdrew from non-governmental organizations, canceled subscriptions to magazines, declined to participate in petition drives, and became more cautious in their conversations with strangers. This reflects on a smaller scale the same reaction to surveillance as seen in other nations, where surveillance is overt and more persuasive. Uh, Kind of like China? Oh my gosh, I can't even... Like, I just feel so, so bad for the Chinese people. And I'm talking just the people. Oh, here's my observation (laughs) um, of humanity at its core. If you look at all humans in their own communities, just the people themselves, they're all wonderful people. They all want the same thing. They want to help and love and take care of their families. Um, It's just those few people in charge that are fucking shit up. And the people in charge of the Chinese government, oh my gosh, I can't even, like, I don't even know what I would do. If I was in that situation, I feel so bad for them. I try to send them good vibes as much as possible. But it's like this. So the more someone is being surveillanced, the more it changes their environment and the way that they act in a negative way. So the effect of observation on one's conduct can be both positive and negative. Um, It is seen that most Western governments do not take obscene interests in their citizens' private lives. I'm talking like China style. We're not on a, what do they call it? Oh my gosh, where they're... um, 
They have like a rating scale on how they act in public. Oh my god, it's fucking art. Can't even. Ah, it's called a social credit score. Fuck that shit. Oh no. Like, what would my social credit score be? I don't know. Like my my social credit score would be way different than my at home social credit score. <laughs> but that's exactly what we're talking about here with the observer effect. Um. We Our government doesn't do that to that extreme here. I'm sure they spy on us all the time, but it's not quite as extreme. Um, they're not doing that wide range of safeguards that, you know, that China is, but they erect that to maintain a healthy barrier. I don't know how healthy that is, but social science states that harm can happen even when the government is not actively looking over people's shoulders. There's a self editing effect that arises from the mere perception of scrutiny. There may not be a lot of self-editing among many people, but sometimes those who lead lives on the edge of social convention, like politically or culturally, they may edit their actions out of concern for how they will be perceived. So if you get where I'm going here, um, your actions, your behavior is dictated by the surveillance that you have of others. And how they're going to perceive your actions and your behaviors. So I found on this blog, it's FS blog, the observer effect is just seeing something is changing it. Just seeing it changes what happens. So the act of looking at something changes it, an effect that holds true for people, animals, and even atoms down to a very tiny molecular structure. Here's how the observer effect distorts our world and how we can get more of an accurate picture of it. So we often forget to factor in the distortion of observation when we evaluate someone's behavior. We see what they are doing as representative of their whole life. But the truth is we can all change how we act when we expect to be seen. Um, so are you ever on your best behavior when you're alone in your house? Uh, I mean, <laughs> no, that's when we're like, hey, fuck it, I can be me. So to get better understanding of other people, we need to consider the observer effect. Observing things changes them and some phenomena only exist when observed. So before you judge someone's behavior, it's worth asking yourself if they are changing it because you are looking at them or if their behavior is natural in the situation. People are invariably affected by observation. Being watched makes us act differently. So in physics, Aaron Schroeder, oh my God, I fucked this up, Schroeder, Schrodinger's, <laughs> Erwin Schrodinger's famous cat highlights the power of observation. In his best known thought experiment, Schrodinger asks us to imagine a cat placed in a box with a radioactive atom that might or might not kill it in an hour. <laughs> so until the box opens, the cat exists in a state of superposition. So what that means is the cat is both alive and the cat is dead. How is this possible? Well, only by observing it does the cat shift permanently to one of these states. So the observation removes the cat from a state of superposition, which means that anything is possible, and commits it to just one. So the cat is always both dead and alive in a situation when we're not observing it. But then once we look at it, one of those two things will permanently happen. 
So in biology, when researchers want to observe animals in their natural habitat, it is paramount that they find a way to do so without disturbing those animals. Otherwise, the behavior they see is unlikely to be natural because most animals, including humans, change their behavior when they are being observed. For instance, Dr. Christian Damza and his colleagues concluded in their paper, Heisenberg in the ER, that being observed makes psychiatric patients a third less likely to require sedation. So just the act of knowing that they are being watched is reducing their need for sedation. They know that they need to chill the fuck out because they're being watched. Doctors and nurses wash their hands more when they know that their hygiene is being tracked. And other studies have shown that zoo animals only exhibit certain behaviors in the presence of visitors, such as being hypervigilant of their presence and repeatedly looking at them. So animals will definitely act different when they're being watched. We are animals. So humans themselves We change our behaviors just because someone is looking at us. So the observer effect, however, is twofold. Observing changes what occurs, but the observing also changes our perceptions of what occurs. So let's like jump twofold into this. It's like, all right, let's throw another one. Another one at you. Let's see how far out we can go with this. For instance, in a trial for an anti-anxiety drug where researchers know which subjects receive a placebo and which ones who actually received the drugs, they may report that the other group seems calmer because that's what they would expect them to do because they know they took the anti-anxiety drug. But the truth is we often see what we expect to see. Our biases lead us to factor in the irrelevant information when evaluating the actions of others. We also bring our past into our present and let that color of our perceptions as well. And so, for example, if someone has really hurt you before, you are less likely to see anything good in them. (laughs) It's already what you've observed, and this is how you are perceiving their soon-to-be actions. Let me guess. I hope this isn't like... (laughs) way too scientific but I love this kind of stuff. So we're going to get into more theoretical stuff with this. So on space.com, quantum paradoxes throw doubt in an observed reality. They have this new quantum paradox that is shaking things up and it's like changing everything that we know. Um, so here's the famous question. If a tree falls in a forest and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? Yeah, no, no, it might actually not make a sound. And if someone is there to hear it, if you think that means it's obviously made a sound, you might need to revise your opinion as well. Just because someone is there and observing it doesn't mean that it's going to make a sound. They've found a new paradox in quantum mechanics. One of our most two fundamental scientific theories, together with Einstein's theory of relativity that throws complete doubt on common sense ideas about the physical reality we have. So quantum mechanics versus common sense. So take a look at these three statements. When someone observes an event happening, it really happened. Statement number one. Statement number two here says, 
it is possible to make free choices or at least statistically random choices. And the third statement is a choice made in one place can't instantly affect a distant event. Now, these are all very intuitive uh, ideas and widely believed by physicists today. But new research shows that they cannot all be true, or quantum mechanics itself must break down at some level. So (laughs) the battle for reality is quantum mechanics works extremely well to describe the behavior of teeny tiny things like atoms and particles of photons and and, but their behavior is really weird. In many cases, quantum theory doesn't give definite answers to questions such as, where is the particle right now? Instead, it only provides probabilities for where the particle might be found when it is observed. So for Niels Bohr, one of the founders of the theory a century ago, that's not because we lack information, but because physical properties like a position don't actually exist until they are measured. And what's more, because some properties of a particle can't be perfectly observed simultaneously, such as position and velocity. We don't we don't know shit about reality. Uh, they can't be real <laughs> simultaneously. So it's all a probability. It's all an imagination. It's all a dream until we measure it. What? Okay. So on CEA.fr, English lists, uh, science, history, does the past still exist somewhere? Does the past exist somewhere? This is such an interesting thought, especially when it's something you've already observed. So you've had this observer effect and whatever you are observing has already passed and is no longer what you are observing today. So what has been can then never not have been. This mysterious and profoundly obscure mystery of having lived will henceforth accompany it for eternity. And this is a quote from, oh my gosh, I'll never be able to pronounce this guy's name. His first name is Vladimir. There you go. So here, let's take a look at a basic example of a chair, which is no longer present because it has been destroyed. Are we to consider that it still exists somewhere in the form of a past chair which has existed or does it no longer exist anywhere? So on one hand, it could claim that the past has no place of existence and no real consistency on the grounds that it is incapable of creating a path to an observable or tangible presence. The past would therefore be unreal because it is disconnected from the present, which is perceived as being the sole location of reality. Here is now and that's it. This thesis, so it's known as um, presentism, considers that only the present events are real. That's it. Nothing past, nothing in the future is real, only now is real. So that means that anything that has already happened is no longer real and anything that will happen isn't real. The only real (laughs) is right now. (laughs) It gets a little confusing. So in short, there's no other reality than that which is currently taking place in presentism. And in this case, when it, you know, when a chair disappears from the present, it has become nothing. It no longer exists anywhere. 
okay. So if science has discovered that reality is not how it appears when no one is looking at it, so like if it exists at all, (laughs) then why is this fact not taught in schools and stuff? So how did science discover that reality is just an illusion? The reason it is not taught in school or most university courses beyond quantum mechanics is because the evidence for this is relatively new. Even though the experiment which proved this has been debated about in science since like, I don't know, the early 20th century, it's only recently that technology has enabled this experiment in question to be carried out to where it has proved once and for all that observation creates reality. So the experiment which proved this is known as the double slit experiment. And the idea behind the experiment was to try and answer the question, does light travel as a wave or a stream of particles? And through recent versions of the double slit experiment, physicists have learned that particles of light, which are photons, don't really move like little balls of matter. Instead, they travel as a wave of possibility where it is only when one looks at it and observes the photon, does it turn back into a little particle? So the same has also been demonstrated with other subatomic particles like quarks and electrons. And the fascinating thing is that all matter, everything that we know is made up of these tiny tiny subatomic particles. Like Nothing is actually solid. Nothing. You could knock on wood and be like, no, I feel this. This is a hard surface. No. It's really not like there's nothing that's actually solid. There is just tiny little particle waves floating around you as a possibility until you observe it. (laughs) What? So as such, everything can be said to exist as a wave of possibility, including your body. It seems that it's only when one is observing reality does it shift from being a wave of possibility to an actual physical thing. Like you don't even have a body until you are observing your body. (laughs) Are you following me? (laughs) I don't know. So the Schrodinger, I think that's how you say it, the Schrodinger cat experiment. So it's, it was fascinating. The one where the cat in the box, you know, is it dead? Is it alive? Um, The idea behind the experiment is to determine how reality is really not the same as we think it is when nobody is looking at it. Instead, reality exists as a state of multiple possibilities. And only when you observe it, does it become real. So from this experiment and the evidence that has been undertaken, it appears that an observer actually creates reality from a vast array of possibilities. So, I mean, to answer the question, does it, you know, if a tree falls in the forest, does anybody hear it? Um... No and yes, all at the same time. Likewise, the trees also don't fall down um, and do fall down and they fall backwards, but sometimes they're falling forwards and basically every possible outcome is happening and it's only when someone observes the outcome does it finally become a fixed thing in our reality. The weird thing about all this is despite the fact that a conscious observer can be said to be creating reality, you will never really actually witness this. So how do we know if it's true if we've never witnessed it? Nobody since the start of time has ever seen a probability wave. Or that's the superposition. 
so due to the fact that the moment you make an observation, the wave function of matter has crashed and reality as we know it appears because we've chosen to observe one thing instead of all the infinite possibilities. What the fuck am I even talking about here? <laughs> I know where I'm going with this, but when I hear myself talk out loud with it, like it just seems so crazy and I love it. Okay. According to quantum physics, there's two leading theories as to why things act the way they do. The Copenhagen interpretation and the many worlds theory. So what are these two things? The Copenhagen interpretation is this, well, this was the original interpretation of what's happening uh, in reality when nobody's looking at it. So this theory was coined up by a Danish physicist, Niels Bohr and Werner Heisenberg. So according to the Copenhagen interpretation, I kind of like that. That seems like it should be like a cool movie or a band or something. Reality exists as a ghost-like probability until someone actually observes it. Then reality becomes one fixed outcome. The many worlds theory is coined by Hugh Everett in the 1950s. And basically, he says that when something is not being observed, it doesn't really exist in a series of ghost probable or ghost probability realities. Instead, every single probable outcome exists in a separate parallel universe. So when an observer observes something, what is really happening is the observer is causing one real reality to appear. Whereas at the same time, another version of you is observing another universe that one is existing in. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it sounds crazy. I love it. So parallel universes, whatever theory turns out to be correct, uh, maybe one, maybe none, maybe all. That's the awesome point to this whole fucking thing. The truth of the matter is that the act of observation causes reality to become the way it is. This therefore raises the question of what is consciousness and how does conscious observation actually cause reality to become real? Well, we don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows why all this is happening. But I love that we're starting to reach in to try and question the unquestionable. So one of my favorite places to read up on stuff is The Big Think. So on bigthink.com, thinking is human consciousness creating reality. Is it like, is the physical universe independent from us or is it created by our minds? So a new study claims networks of observers are responsible for determining physical reality. Excuse me. So a network of servers. So if we're thinking about that, so there's some big networks, the big giant servers that are observing and choosing how our reality is being played out. And in, in the study, scientists propose that observers generate the structure of time and space. So is there physical reality that's independent from us? We seem like we're physical. Like, yeah, we're in a physical world. This is a 3D dimension. This is where I live. And yet it might just be completely separate from me and I'm just viewing it or does it even not exist unless I'm viewing it? <laughs> does reality exist at all? 
Or is it a structure of everything, including time and space, created by the perceptions of those observing it? So this groundbreaking paper was published in the Journal of Cosmology and Astroparticle Physics that was included by Robert Lanza, who is a stem cell and regenerative medicine expert. He argues that consciousness is the driving force for the existence of the universe. He believes that the physical world that we perceive is not something that's separate from us, but rather created by our minds as we observe it. So according to his biocentric view, space and time are a byproduct of the whirlwind of information in our head that is weaved together by our mind into a coherent experience. So like our mind is creating all of this reality that's projected out just based on all of the information that's going into our head and weaving it together. So according to Lanza and his colleagues, the world is not something that is formed outside of us, simply existing on its own. Observers ultimately define the structure of physical reality itself. I always go back to Minecraft. So it's kind of like playing the game of Minecraft. If you are starting a world, the world is only happening because you are observing the start of the world. You are creating the things around you just by looking at it and playing with it. So how can observers create reality? How does this work? So Lanza contends that a network of observers is necessary and a inherent and is inherent to the structure of reality. As he explains it, observers, you, me, anyone, everybody, all of us, live in a quantum gravitational universe and come up with a globally agreed upon cognitive model of reality by exchanging information about the properties of space time. So it's just all of us interacting with each other and looking at things, we are collectively creating the universe around us as we do it as because there was nothing there when we weren't doing it or was there like how many different possibilities (laughs) are happening. So Lanza says the observer is the first cause the vital force that collapses not only the present, but the cascade of spatial temporal events we call the past. Stephen Hawking's was right when he said the past, like the future, is indefinite and exists only as a spectrum of possibilities. Ew, my God, what is happening? (laughs) So could the universe be a simulation then? This is what I always go back to. I love this idea. But Now, when I think of a simulation, here's the difference between maybe the scary um, AI simulation versus what I feel. I feel the simulation theory that I could be existing in is not based of an artificial intelligence, but of a biological collective intelligence. So could an artificially intelligent entity without consciousness be dreaming up our world? Well, Lanza, this dude, believes biology has to play an important role in this, and I agree. While a bot could conceivably be an observer, Lanza thinks a conscious living entity with the capacity for memory is necessary to establish the arrow of time. Okay, so I, okay, AI is capable of having memory space, obviously. So, but 
time. Time has to be experienced differently from an artificial intelligence to a living conscious entity. I don't know that it would be in the same uh, way that we do. It can be all over. Maybe, maybe AI can observe the actual waves where we can only observe the particles. Oh my God. This is such a great question. I'm going to ask this one to floss for AI too. Okay, so I found on beyondsciencetv.com, they did an article on six mind-blowing theories about our reality. So, number one question, is our reality even real? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are we real? Are we alone in the universe? How did all this come to be? How will all of this end? Well, for now, we do not have definitive answers to these questions, but scientists and philosophers are formulating complex theories about reality as we know it, as well as our existence. So I theorize about this all the time. I have so many of my own theories, and they all seem to interweave and have this web that connects them all so that even though not only one can be the only answer, they can all be the answer. It just depends on which when you observe. (laughs) Does that even make sense? So here are six mind-blowing theories about our reality that will make you question everything. So number one, the big freeze. So the big freeze is a plausible scientific theory on the possible end of the universe. This ending is theorized to be the direct consequence of an ever-expanding universe, which is proven by indications of an increasing rate of expansion in the region's farthest from Earth. We can see apparently, I don't know how this, I don't even know how they make this shit up sometimes. Sometimes I feel like they make it up and sometimes I'm like, no, they're calculating this, but maybe it's just their calculations are wrong because they don't have a complete understanding of all the possibilities. (laughs) Okay, reeling it back in. But the universe is expanding is what they think at the far reaches of it. So according to this theory, The universe will slowly cool as it expands until it no longer is capable of sustaining life. The theory is founded on this idea that entropy, a principle of thermodynamics that measures the shift of all energy in the universe from a state of order to disorder, will eventually reach its maximum value. And if it happens, the heat in the universe will be distributed evenly to the point that there will be no usable energy or heat left, which means that the universe will cease to exist. And because this big freeze, time becomes an endless void in which nothing ever happens. What the fuck is happening with this theory? (laughs) Okay. If I could break this down for you, they think we're going to expand out eventually to a point where all the energy is so stretched out, there is really none of it left. And at that point, everything will stop and nothing will exist as if it never did. (laughs) So sad. Oh, that's a sad one. I don't even know if any of these are happy ones yet. So we're about to find out. So another one is called Sol. Oh my gosh. Solipsism solipsism, which means nothing exists except your mind. So in the philosophical theory of solipsisms, (laughs) I don't even know if I'm saying that right, solipsism states, 
that only one's mind is sure to exist. That's it. Solipsism holds that knowledge of anything outside of a person's own mind is unsure. And so the external worlds, as well as other minds, cannot be known and might not even exist outside the mind. I don't even know what this is fucking trying to say here. (laughs) So for the solipsists, that's the person who believes in this. It is not merely that he believes his thoughts and experiences and emotions are the only thoughts and experiences and emotions, but there are rather he attaches no meaning that there could be other thoughts, experiences and emotions than his own. He is it. There is nothing else. Nothing else has any existence or meaning other than the self. So, for example, for a true solipsist, to, this is such a crazy word. For a true one to understand the word pain to mean his own pain only. Therefore, he cannot conceive the word is applied to anything else outside of him. Only pain for him. Only me. That's it. Very, very narcissistic way of thinking. <laughs> I don't know if I'm if I'm following this one right, though. I've been down that rabbit hole and I feel like sometimes you are the only thing that is existing. It is just you. You have you started as this giant source and then you got bored or you got lonely. And so you decided to start breaking free into these all these little pieces and you're creating all these other people as yourself, but as a different observer so that you can have more things to do and more stories to tell and that it really is only you in the universe. It's only in your mind, though. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, next one. The next one is called print pre... Oh, my God. Presentism. The now and nothing else. So philosophical presentism is the view that neither the future nor the past exist. The only events and objects which exist are those that exist in the present. So the only things which exist right now are actually real. According to St. Augustine, a leading modern era scholar of Buddhist philosophy, he said everything past is unreal and everything in the future is unreal. Everything imagined absent mental is unreal. Ultimately, real is only the present moment of physical efficiency. What? Okay, so this one's a fun one to go to. So the past is not real. So it's not real. Does that mean it never happened? And the future is not real and it never happened. The only thing happening is what's happening. (laughs) So how does anything even happen? So if the past and the future are probabilities, Maybe we're, we're thinking of the probabilities in too small of a spectrum. Maybe the probabilities are nothing and just observing pulls the nothingness away and it becomes everything. And then from the everything, we can pick the one thing. <laughs> oh my God. Next. Okay. Eternalism. Everything at once. So taking the opposite approach to presentism is eternal. 
journalism. According to this theory, the past, the present, the future, the simple past. Ooh, what's that mean? The simple past? I don't know. I'm going to look into that. And continuous future are all happening right now. So all points in time are equally real. This philosophical theory postulates that time actually has many layers which exist simultaneously. However, the layer seen by a particular observer depends on where they are standing. Oh, that's so interesting. So this means the dinosaurs, the world wars, all of your favorite entertainment star performances, the Super Bowl, all exist at the same time, but can only be seen from a certain point. And so based on this theory, the future is not only determined, but free will is also an illusion. So the only thing that you have free will to is where you want to stand, because everything else has been determined and everything else has a different view based on where you are standing. <laughs> what? Okay, here is the next one. Multiverse theory and functional realism. So from science fiction to science fact. Oh my gosh, there's so much of that. I love it. There is a proposal suggesting that there could be other universes aside from our own where all the choices that a person makes are played out in alternate realities. I love this because I do this all the time. I play so many realities out in my head. Um, these parallel worlds are said to be very similar to ours, but with only a few minor or major differences, and the number of these universes are infinite. One possible implication of parallel universes is the idea that there are infinite copies of us in infinite universes carrying out every possible version of existence. Can this even happen? Can you play out every possible thing? Is there an every possible thing or is there an inf infinite or finite? You know what I mean? I feel so torn on this idea because a lot of times I feel like it is infinite because it is, <laughs> but the infinite can be contained inside of another infinite. So if your infinite is in still inside of a container, it is finite until you get out of that container and you're back into another infinite infinite. So I feel like you just have to, you just have to kind of keep transforming and breaking through your container. Maybe that's just every life. So I like your body. That's your container right now. Once you get out of this container, you go into another infinite container. Okay, well, one type of theory about parallel universes envisions countless bubble universes arising and disappearing. So this means the beginning of our universe, or like some people want to call it the Big Bang, could just be the creation of one bubble in a sea of inflated universes, eventually popping when it's not sustainable anymore. But that still means it's inside of another universe, so it's still being contained inside the next infinite. <laughs> I'm losing it. A second theory is the brain universe, which is based on string theory and proposes our entire universe exists in a membrane floating in a higher dimension or a bulk. And in this bulk, there are other membranes with other universes. This is exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. It's like an infinite contained inside of an infinite that has infinite infinites in it. <laughs> 
these universes interact with one another and when they collide, the violence and the energy produced are more than enough to produce a big bang. And the membranes float near each other in bulk and every few trillion years, attracted by some type of gravitational force, smash into each other. And this repeated gives you multiple big bangs, multiple universes. Oh my gosh, we're going we're going for it today. I feel like this all is everything is right. All the things that are wrong and all the possibilities that we have are an answer. <laughs> Only if we're observing it. So the last one is the simulation theory or the matrix theory. I love this one. I love it. I love it. The simulation hypothesis proposes that reality is, in fact, a simulation and even most likely a computer simulation. This theory postulates that due to the overwhelming likelihood of technological singularities occurring in the universe, it it's also likely that advanced civilizations, either aliens from a distant galaxy or humanity later in the future, which I love both of these options, <laughs> have created or will create simulations. And because the number of these simulations would be infinite, like Nick Bostrom talks about this, and I've talked about this in the very first episode that I ever did, he argues that it's very likely that we right now are actually living in a computer simulation. Okay. I I want to say yes and no to this all at the same time. <laughs> Look at me. I am uh, the observer of the observed here. I feel like we, a computer simulation, and when we say computer, that is the most expansive we have right now in our understanding of to store information and to recreate realities. But I think it goes beyond that um, in the simulation theory, that it's not just an artificial intelligence. It is an actual living conscious intelligence that is acting similar to what we think a computer can do. So the simulation theory bears similarity with the brain and the vat thought experiment, which is also just a modern and updated version of the evil demon thought experiment. What? I'm going to look into that. So common to many science fiction stories, a mad scientist or AI robot puts someone's brain in a jar and connects it to the supercomputer simulating a physical reality. Ooh, I, I don't know. That's that's like combining the two. I kind of like it. According to this thought experiment, the computer simulates reality and the disembodied brain continues normal conscious experiences and feeling like it is in the real world. If this sounds eerily similar to the Matrix, uh, that's because the Matrix was based exactly on this particular scenario. You're just hooking the brain up to an experience that it can project and feel real. What if we are just a brain floating somewhere that is connected to a computer simulating our existence still, but our, that's it. Like, but does it matter? Like, what if that is it? I don't need a body in that brain because I'm projecting one here where my mind is existing. So does that mean I could have any kind of body or existence that I wanted, regardless of the one that I actually had that was hooked up to the computer simulation? Does it matter? I don't, I, okay. I, I say no. <laughs> there I said it. Because 
if if we really are just brains or the mind, a living like physical brain that's disembodied, but it's being continually, um, it's continually existing due to a computer simulation. Cool. That means I still exist. <laughs> I'm like, yay, I was just a fucking brain. And somehow I figured out how I could project into all these realities and create bodies and experiences. I'm a fucking genius. This is amazing. So then how far does it go? How many brains am I inside of? <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know. All I know is, is that observing reality changes reality and not observing reality doesn't necessarily mean that it exists anymore because it doesn't until we observe it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love this. Okay, so I guess that the only downside to all of this, let's just go back to the brain, the disembodied brain just being plugged in. The downside to that is that what if we did not willingly decide to observe our reality that way? What if we are forced to observe our reality in a certain way? I feel like this is very much what the media does to people and how you consume your information. All you have to do is manipulate what you're observing and your reality is different from what it could have been. Um, I mean, that's like making every choice in life. But if somebody else is observing us, just them looking at us is controlling what we then can observe. It's like, filtering and magnifying it down. What if they've done it so many times? We only have like a million choices. It's it. And there's already like hundreds and trillions and gazillions and bazillions of opportunities of outcomes, but we're filtered to only have a few. How do we break out of our container? Well, I feel like a good Thing to walk away from understanding the observer effect is no matter how many millions and bajillion opportunities and possibilities there are for you, it's what you decide to observe that will be for you. So if you want to observe, you know, negative, uh, horrible, dramatic, traumatic stuff, Uh, that's how your reality is going to become. If you want to observe more positive, uplifting, um, learned lessons and knowledge, which is still shit that's negative. I mean, oh my God, it doesn't matter how you look at it, no matter, or does it matter how you're looking at it? (laughs) Because it's the observer effect. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I don't even know, but I really, I really hope that you guys... (laughs) have enjoyed the time that we have spent here together i feel like i really went just on a rant today this could have been one of my series of uh it's just me in here i feel like i kind of ranted a little bit but i hope you were able to at least follow me on that fun little journey i i had a great time (laughs) so i hope you did too and you come back for more on the next access elysium podcast